Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. So reading from Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into the into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the, time, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant near the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are a God who speaks, a God who uh, allows us to know you, allows us to uh, have a relationship with you in Christ. We thank you for your word, Lord, that the, the word uh, is living and the word uh, changes hearts. And we pray today, Lord, that your spirit will be at work changing our hearts, moving our hearts towards you, uh, in repentance and obedience. We pray for that now, in your son's name. Amen. As you all might know, for the last year and a bit, there's a war happening in our world. There's a war happening in Ukraine against Russia. Uh, it was last February, right? And it hasn't ceased yet. Russia uh, invaded Ukraine. And the last I read about it this week was uh, there's been about $411 billion of damage that's been done in Ukraine. So that's how much is required to rebuild Ukraine right now. It's, it's devastating what's happening over there. Over there. Um, but while this war continues to rage on, uh, if you've been keeping up with it, uh, there's a man at the helm of Ukraine who continues to inspire hope and courage. It's this man here, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. 
I read a little bit about him, uh, especially over this last year. I've been reading articles about him. But his story is quite interesting. If you don't know, uh, he was a comedian. He was an actor before he ran for office. So he was in the entertainment business before he ran for office in 2019. And as he ran for office, it was largely inspired by a character in a TV show he created called A Servant of the People. That's what he wanted to be when he was elected in. He called his political party Servant of the People. Now, although elected in, um, before the war, the war began, he wasn't really pol polling very well. Like, he wasn't very popular. But during the war, over this last year, he's become one of the greatest uh, political transformations in modern history. With this man um, becoming really an icon of democracy. Uh, a, a man who many have compared uh, to the likes of Winston Churchill. That's a big call. How did this happen? Well, it began when Russian troops began uh, marching into Ukraine and shooting missiles at the capital city, Kyiv. Right? His advisor said to him, uh, yo, boss, we need to get, get you out of here. We have to get you somewhere safe, something like that. And according to one of his former advis advisors, they said to him, uh, there'll be cruise missiles coming. You have to get somewhere safe. He says, I'm staying here. They said, they're going to send assassins. They're going to send saboteurs. Again, he refused. He said, give me a machine gun. I stay here. The next day, armed with his iPhone, he recorded a video of himself standing in the center of Kyiv, the, the capital city, with his prime minister and his chief of staff. And Zelensky sent this message to the people, we are all here. Our soldiers are here. The citizens are here. We defend our independence. Oh man, that gives me goosebumps. What a stud, hey? Isn't that so inspirational? To have a president, a leader like that, willing to bear arms and fight on the front line. And isn't that what has made him so admirable? To be a man who will identify with his people, a servant of the people. Uh, don't we love that he's relatable like that? Aren't these the type of leaders, uh, the ones that we'd be willing to follow into battle and war? He could hide away. He could keep himself safe away from the bullets, but he chooses to stand with his people. Usually what we're hearing in a lot of uh, pop culture especially is that there are the, those wealthy celebrities or the uh, members of the royal family complaining about how hard their life is. And instead of it being inspiring, we usually call it tone deaf, don't we? Uh, we want leaders who we can identify with. We want leaders who are relatable, who are worth following, who would be willing to fight with us and for us. And so I want to ask us this question this morning. Because we're here in church on this Sunday morning. Is Jesus a leader, a king worth following? Because what we see in today's passage really is a man who is so relatable, who, who we can identify with, the God-man who's willing to go into battle for us. But let me give you a bit of context, all right? Before we get into this passage, and I hope you guys have your Bibles open because we're going to be unpacking it soon. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's predicted uh, from chapter 9, we, multiple times, he's told his disciples that he's the Son of Man who must die and rise again. He must suffer. We just, uh, in the, in earlier in chapter 14, he had the last supper, the, the Passover feast, with uh, his disciples in the upper room. So that's what, where we're at in the story of uh, Mark's gospel. He just had his last supper uh, during Passover with his disciples, a very intimate meal, uh, teaching them, praying with them, and now we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's getting late. They go for a walk. They've probably had a couple of glasses of wine by now. They're feeling the food coma. They're getting sleepy. Jesus goes, let's go for a walk. They end up in this garden called Gethsemane, a place that still exists today that you can visit, right? If you ever go to Israel, you can go visit there and check it out. Jesus stops it and he says he wants to pray. 
And it's really here that we see the, the, the humanness, the, the humanity of Jesus, that side of him. The one who's came to save in this moment goes through this intense suffering. Uh, in the book of Mark so far, we've seen Jesus perform miracles, haven't we? We've seen him uh, do mighty acts, uh, control the, the natural elements. He even raises uh, a little girl back to life, but we're exposed now to this human side of him as we, as we hear him come before God in prayer in Gethsemane. Uh, listen to these words. He, be, he began to be deeply distressed, troubled, his soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Oh man, aren't these words that we can identify with, that we felt at times in our lives? We're usually more familiar with the image of Jesus, aren't we, who's pretty calm and composed, the teacher Jesus, the miracle worker Jesus. But here, he falls to the ground in grief and sorrow. It makes him sound a little bit weak, even. The, the God-man is on the ground, writhing in pain. But we're told these details for a reason, aren't we? Our God, our Lord, our Savior is human, like us. We've, we've felt those moments, and we're seeing it now played out in Jesus' life. And it sounds like he's really wrestling, isn't he? He's really wrestling with this temptation about what's about to happen to him. It even sounds a little bit like he's tempted to jump ship from the mission that's ahead of him, to flake out, to pike out on, this, on that mission. And that's totally understandable, wouldn't it be? I mean, in our generation today, don't people flake out all the time? Well, I mean, like, you know, you, go, you say, you, you know, you're going to that party on the weekend, your friend's really looking forward to having you there, and then you're like, oh, sorry. My hairdresser had an appointment, I just took that appointment, so I'm not free to come, soz. You know, and we do that, we flake out on our friends in the last minute. It might sound trivial, right? But let's be real, isn't that what we hear? Isn't that common in today's culture? It's so easy to just be non-committal to things. We have phones and, you know, back in when I was younger, when you meet up with a friend, you don't have a phone, so you have to be there. Like you say, I'm going to meet you at 10 o'clock at this spot, usually Hungry Jack's in the Queen Street Mall. I'll meet you outside Hungry Jack's Queen Street Mall at 10 o'clock. Okay, well, we don't have phones, we can't contact each other. You've got to go to public pay phone, call their mum. Hey, hey, is, is you know, my friend Anthony, is he going to be there? This That's how you, no text, right? None of that. You, you, you're committed to your word. Now, now think about this. Our culture today is so non-committal. People ghosting each other because they don't want to deal with the awkwardness of discomfort that might arise. When things get hard in life, what do we do? We cancel our plans, get another glass of wine, binge Netflix each night. We don't want to deal with it. Some people just move cities. Why not? Escape the quarter life, existential crisis. Just escape. When we understand the intense agony Jesus is going through, oh, totally understand. Jesus, if you want to bail, just bail. That job sounds really hard. I mean, I bail too. You see, we'd understand that when we understand what he's coming face to face with at this moment. He's feeling these really deep emotions of suffering and grief. Uh, in another gospel, Luke's gospel, we're told that he's sweating and the sweat is like drops of blood. That's intense. What is going on? What's going on that has led him to feel this way? Well, verse 36 gives us an idea. He prays, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. He pleads to God the Father, take this cup from me. Now, what is this cup? Right? Is it something really gross, like a, a durian smoothie or something? Is it something really disgusting like that? I, years ago, I was at a, a groomsman for a, for a good friend of mine. He was in Singapore. I've never been to Singapore. I went there for the first time. He married a Singapore, uh, Singaporean uh, uh, woman. And 
there's a tradition in that culture, and I think it's in other Chinese cultures as well, that before the wedding, the groomsmen have to, the whole groom, the groomsmen have to go over to the bride's house and go through a set of challenges uh, to prove his worth to the bride. The, 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 the groom has to prove his worth. And so all the groomsmen go over, and it's called gate crashing, I think uh, it's called. Uh, so you go over and you do all these challenges, like you do push-ups to get through the gate. You have to write a poem to get through the front door and do all these challenges until you, you see the bride, right, in the house. One of those challenges for that day. It involved consuming four types, I know some of the Singaporeans here are probably not, yeah, I know this one. Uh, four types of food or drink that represent the emotions of marriage, right? Four types, bitter, sweet, sour, spicy. So we gave the easy one you know, to the groom. He ate a piece of chocolate or something, that was sweet. I got handed the spicy one because I like spicy food. But what spicy meant was a giant spoon of straight wasabi and that was not enjoyable. I think my nasal cavities were cleared for a month after that. Another groomsman who, who wanted to tank it, he got given a cup, and it was a bitter cup. He was, the bitter cup was reserved for him. Uh, what we didn't know was the bridesmaids had stirred in like 10 spoons of instant coffee into that cup to make it extra bitter. The groomsman, he drank the whole cup. He just, he just drank it in one go. And we discovered later that there's a thing called caffeine overdose. Um, <laughs> because for the rest of the day, he was in bed with headaches, shaking, and sick all afternoon. So he made it through the ceremony, and after the ceremony, he went straight back to his hotel room. Jesus speaks of this cup, the bitter cup that was reserved for him, but it's worse than any of that, even. Yes, lethal concoctions and toxic drinks could lead to death, but the way we're told about how Jesus is feeling, there's something far worse than simply his own death. He's coming face-to-face, really, with the immense tsunami of God's wrath. In the Old Testament, when the Bible talks about a cup, we come to understand why Jesus is feeling the way he's feeling. In Isaiah, I've got a couple of verses on the screen. Isaiah uh, 51, 22 says, this is what your sovereign Lord says, see, I've taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath. Again, in Jeremiah, it's cut off. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. The holy, furious, righteous anger, the wrath of God for the sin of humankind. That's the cup that Jesus speaks of. We're not talking about some, some, some spanking here. We're talking about the punishment for sin. Sin, the, the dismissal, the disrespect, the rebellion against, the rejection of God. That's sin. The sin of humankind, past, present, and future. Let's, let's, let's feel that for a moment. Right? All our wrongdoings against God, yours and mine, uh, the people in this room, the people in our city, the people in our country, the people across our globe, across every generation in history, the sin of billions of human beings. Jesus is peering into a cup that carries the wrath and punishment for the sin of all humanity across history. Wow. Wow. What's even more astounding is that Jesus himself had no sin. He was completely innocent, perfect in holiness. And so when he goes to the cross, he drinks that cup. The one who had no sin became sin for us. We hear this and, we, and, and people hear this and they get a bit uncomfortable. Why, why does, if God is so loving, why does he get angry? Why does he have wrath? Why does he have to punish? 
And we have to understand what, well, you know, if, we, if he truly is loving, then anger has to exist, doesn't it? In a world that is uh, where we see hurt and injustice and the pain we all experience due to sin, God, in God's love, he gets angry. He is just. His justice requires anger and wrath. Well, in order to save the world, someone has to be punished. And the only one is Jesus, the one and only Son, the God-man, both man, fully man and fully God. Only He can take that sacrificial, uh, that, that, that cup of wrath and sacrifice, give His life up for many. His wrath exists because love demands it. And because God so loved the world, right? He sent His one and only Son, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus knows his time was going to come. It has to be him. He is God's son. Only he can take away the sin of all humanity. But here we hear about his humanness, don't we? He's fully human. He experiences emotions like you and I. Uh, he, he, his time has come. He, he's, he's at the precipice of it. Right? It's, it's like when you see a cliff in the distance, but you don't know how high it really is. You're walking towards it. But then when you get to the edge of that cliff, you look over the edge and your stomach drops, your knees get weak. Jesus is hours away from his crucifixion. And that's how he's feeling. He's peering into that cup. Where, where at, at the crucifixion, the, the tsunami really of God's wrath will come crashing down upon him. Where he'll be utterly abandoned by God. Where his very cry on the cross is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he takes the punishment for sinners. This is our Savior, our leader, our King. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and he's feeling this intense anguish that comes with the cup of God's fury and wrath. He could have very well, at this moment, aborted mission. Trump shipped if he chose to. But what does he say? Here in chapter 40, he says, Yet not what I will, but what you will. As tempting as it might be to bail on this mission, he submits to the will of God, the Father, out of his love for his Father and for us. Remember how the prayer began? Abba, Father. That language of Abba means there's this intimate relationship between him and God the Father, the Son, God the Son, and God the Father. There's this intimate relationship of loving trust. I've heard many atheists want to argue that God sounds like some, some sort of cosmic child abuser, right? Forcing Jesus to die. But the Bible paints a very different picture. The heart of Jesus is for God and for us. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. You know, Jesus here, Abba Father, we get an insight into His heart that He and His Father are in, they're on the same page. He obeys the Father's will. And in this account, we're feeling the, the, the tension of his heart, the humanness of his emotions in the great task that lies before him. Yet not my will, but yours. In prayerful submission, he prays that. He stands before the tsunami of God's wrath that humanity deserves so that we can receive the, the tsunami of salvation through his sacrificial death. Now, where are, where are his disciples in all this? Where are his good friends? Three times we're told they're caught sleeping. We're talking about Peter, James, and John. His closest inner circle, his closest friends. 
Three times he says, keep watching, pray, stay vigilant. Maybe, maybe they had too much wine, their tummies are full. I don't blame them. I'd probably be asleep too. And so Jesus really confronts them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Three times they've fallen asleep. While Jesus is alone, going through this deep suffering on his own, how would you feel? Abandoned? As if Jesus isn't going through enough right now, his friends can't even keep their word to him? But while you might feel disappointed at these three friends falling asleep, there's another level of disappointment in this text, isn't there? One of his other disciples, Judas, Judas, it's not just disappointment here, it's betrayal. He shows up to Gethsemane with this posse of thugs from the temple courts armed with swords and clubs. And he goes up to Jesus and gives him a kiss. Usually it's a sign of respect between a, a rabbi and a disciple, a rabbi and a student. But this disciple gives Jesus a kiss as a sign of his betrayal. Now I feel for Jesus here. You're all alone. You've been writhing in agony, feeling the anxiety and grief that comes with this cup that you're about to take. Your best friends have deserted you. They've fallen asleep. One of your disciples has just betrayed you, this disgusting act. Yet Jesus knows this must happen. He says the scripture must be fulfilled. We see at least one of his disciples stand up, right? One of his disciples tries to stop it. I imagine probably one of the ones that just woke up, is in a panic, picks up a sword, slices off an ear. We hear that in this, in this account. Uh, you know, it's one of those moments, uh, you know, our bodies re respond to, to danger and threat. What do we do? We freeze, we fight, and we, or we take flight. And this guy fought, right? He just picked up a sword and sliced. But these guys here, uh, what happens uh, in the end is all the disciples, they don't fight. Uh, this, this, this story here, this passage, this section, it, it ends with verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Right? Like penguins on ice. <laughs> they took flight. They all abandoned Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, Mark adds this extra account of this nude dude that runs away. Verse 51. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked leaving his garment behind. Now, we don't know who it is. Could have been Mark himself, the author, but whoever it was, they decided to go commando that day. And, and decided to be easy to escape, but they just left their clothes behind, just, you know, slippery little sucker escaping. Mark wants to emphasize something here for us, though, doesn't he? Remember how through Mark's gospel, uh, I've said this a few times in, in previous talks, uh, Mark wants to make a sandwich for us, a sandwich for us to eat, right? In Aussie slang, uh, if you didn't grow up in Australia, they call it a sanger. A sandwich is a sanger. With every good sanger, you need good filling, right? You've got a slice of bread, you've got your filling, and then you've got your other slice. Let's see where this sandwich starts, though. We've got to go back a few verses. Before, this, before our account here, verse 27 of chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can read it there. I've got it on the screen if it's not cut off. But it says this, You will all fall away. Jesus is talking to his disciples. You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows, twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And what happens after this account? Peter does disown him three times. Maybe falling asleep three times is a preview to that as well. But did you read that last verse? Even if I have to die with you, 
I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Such bravado, right? These big talk for these guys. But that's the first slice of the sandwich. Then there's a filling, the stuff that happens at Gethsemane that we've been looking at. And then there's the last slice of the sandwich, verse 50. What we just read. Everyone deserted him and fled. One moment, I will never disown you. I'm standing with you, Jesus. Everyone deserted him and fled. You know, the author here, Mark, is emphatically making a point, isn't he, in this section. The filling of the sandwich is the part we really need to, to savor and focus on. Our take-home today really is in Gethsemane here. Jesus has a foretaste of the cup he's about to drink. And as difficult and as scary and as overwhelming as that is for him, he will persevere and he will pursue the will of God to the point of sacrificing his very life for us. He will drink the cup of God's fury, the sin of humanity, past, present, and future, and face hell and the abandonment of God for us on our behalf. This then leads us to consider two things as we consider, uh, as we consider Jesus. I mean, firstly, it's, you know, do, do we believe he's worth following? Jesus is no stranger to the, to the gamut of human emotions, is he? He's very much like us. He's had his moments of weakness. He knows what temptation feels like. Hebrews uh, 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus is the one who can relate to us. He knows our hearts, our every desire, our every weakness, and empathizes with us. He has been there before. Yet in his perseverance, he overcame temptation. In his perfect, sinless holiness, he submits to God's will. In obedience and sacrifice, driven by love, he gives his body over to be crucified. To be crucified for people who were once enemies of God. Uh, Theology professor James Edwards in the U.S., he makes this comment about this. He says, Gethsemane is the the prelude to Calvary, for in a valley beneath the city, Jesus allows his soul to be crucified. And on a hill above the city, he relinquishes, relinquishes his body. We look at some of the great leaders in history, the sacrifices they made for their nation, for their people, for freedom, for justice, a servant of the people. But has there been one who has taken the very cup of God's wrath and judgment for sinners? Sinners like you and I, who have at some point rejected and rebelled against God, God's enemies? Isaiah 53, I don't have it on the screen, the Christ, it talks about the Christ. He's a suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was truly a servant of the people, not some military political leader, He takes humanity's burden upon himself. All the wrongs we've committed, the spiritual rebellion of our hearts, he takes that upon himself and drinks the cup that was reserved for us. And it's precisely because of the cross he's given the crown. He deserves, doesn't he, to be exalted as king, the king worthy to be followed. Yet many of us think it's absurd to give our life over to be ruled by someone else. We're the captain of our ship, the masters of our fate. We rule, we lead our own lives. Well, let me ask you, how's that going for you? When was the last time your, your heart deceived you? Haven't you failed yourself at times? Uh, 
I know I have, and do all the time. I'm my own worst enemy. Inconsistent, foolish, easily led into temptation. Come on now. As difficult as it is to be a Christian, right, in this cultural moment of history, will we see the love and sacrifice of our King Jesus and follow Him? The one who knows us, our every flaw, our every weakness and vulnerability, but still chooses to love us still. If you're not a Christian here today, I really want you to hear me out. He doesn't, this, this, this leader, this king that we follow, he doesn't jump ship when things get hard. He doesn't bail on the mission, flakes out on you. He's willing to go all the way. Drink the very cup of judgment. Face an excruciating death. Experience hell itself, forsaken and abandoned by God so that we could receive eternal life. So that we could know God. So that we could be forgiven and be reconciled to Him. That's the type of leader Jesus is. One we can trust one who doesn't fail us, one who graciously pours out his life for us in love. Is there anyone else who is worthy of our worship, worthy to be followed? Man, don't hesitate. Put your faith in Jesus. But if you are a Christian here today, let's also not be naive about what the Christian faith looks like. I think I speak for all Christians here. Aren't we a lot like the disciples in the story? We will with our lips emphatically say, Jesus, I give you my life. I will never disown you. Yet at times in our unfaithfulness and in temptation, haven't we at many times in our lives deserted him, rejected him? Surely there have been times we've been ashamed to speak up for Jesus. Uh, We're all like the young man, really, who flees in nakedness and shame. He's anonymous. And I think the author is intentional. His lack of identity invites us really to examine our readiness to abandon Jesus when there's a threat or danger in our lives. Yet behold our King, our King who's faced with the temptation to run away. He prays and he pleads for strength to obey his will, God's will, and walk to the cross. Friends, when we're tempted to run away from Jesus, it's in those moments that we need to run even more towards him. Not run away from the cross, run towards it. We need to heed the same warning that Jesus gives his disciples. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's an absolute necessary reminder that trusting and obeying God is not our default response. The default of the Christian life and of our hearts is an ongoing struggle against temptation and weakness. That's our default. If you're here and you think you're really strong, you'll never sin again in your life while living in this world, you're kidding yourself. Even the disciples, his inner circle, who would have witnessed and experienced the greatness of Jesus in the flesh, even the best of people, are still people. They're still flawed like us, quick to flee, easily self-deceived. Here's the warning for the Christian here today and for myself. If not by the grace of God, you and I could easily fall away. You and I could easily abandon Jesus and the Christian faith altogether. How many times have I seen young people get baptized in their late teens, early 20s, and then in their 30s and not even be at church anymore? Abandon their faith. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need, like the disciples, to stay alert, to pray. We need to tread with caution. You see, our pride tells us we'll be fine. Sure, a little sip here, a bit of a binge there. I can let my eyes and my heart wander. I can be a little bit greedy, a little bit selfish at times. 
But then where does our deceitful hearts lead us? Our flesh is weak. Temptation is real. Will we be alert? Will we pray? Pray that, our, that we'll set our hearts upon our King, that we'll follow Him even in our weakness and during times of temptation. Pray that even as strong as your desires might be, you'll submit to His will and not your own. I know that's hard. Uh, as, as scary as it is, even if it goes against right, what might feel safe and comfortable, even if your ambitions and your, your goals take a back seat, even if it might threaten your reputation, your retirement plans, your wealth, even if it might threaten that relationship with your non-believing partner, will you submit to God's will? Will you pray, not my will, but yours? Will you follow our King Jesus, even when the temptation to run away and abandon your King might seem so much easier? Friends, stay awake and pray. Be vigilant about our hearts and how easy it is to be led astray. I began this talk talking about uh, the Ukrainian president, a, a great man who has received the attention of the world as an admirable leader. And in, in the article I read, I was reading about him, a Ukrainian philosopher uh, called Yermolenko is his name. Uh, he says this about Zelensky. Zelensky is a person who has the capacity of empathy. People really recognize themselves in him. They identify themselves with him, or he identifies himself with the people. And this is the most important thing. That's why there's been such a great transformation about the way people see this great leader. But while leaders like Zelensky can stand with the people in these uh, great acts of leadership, Jesus, our King, has already gone ahead for us. He's the King who goes first and drinks the cup of God's wrath. He faces the death that we deserve so that you and I, through our faith in Him, will never have to. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much for your love for us, for your sacrifice on the cross, that you drank that bitter cup, that you experienced God's wrath, his fury, that you took the punishment so that we don't have to. Lord, help us to be on guard. Help us to be alert. Help us to pray, uh, to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Help us to keep running to the cross in times of temptation. In times when we're led astray, help us to keep running back to you for forgiveness, for strength. Help us to be relying on the Holy Spirit in all of life. Help us to be a people, Lord, who seeks to give glory to you. We pray, Lord, we know we can't do this alone. If it was up to us, Lord, we would easily fall asleep. We'd easily abandon you. We'd easily flee from the scene. Help us, Lord, to be a people that, that look at your greatness are inspired, motivated, empowered to follow a, a king that has gone ahead of us. Help us to be a people who are willing to make those sacrifices and pray, yet not my will, but yours. It's in, your, it's in, it's in Jesus' name that we do pray this. Amen.